2: everyone, Sarah here. This week on In the News, we're taking a short break and revisiting some of our favourite episodes from the past few months. Today we bring you the story of Amazon's dark side and what it will mean for Ireland when their giant fulfilment centre opens here next year. Amazon and its founder Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man, are almost always in the news these days. Take the last month alone. Now, to get to this point of selling our first seed, We have tested the rocket extensively. The first seat on the first manned flight of his space tourism company Blue Origin was sold at auction. Sold! $28 million to number
3: 107.
2: Meanwhile in Scotland, an ITV news investigation showed how Amazon was destroying thousands of valuable objects worth millions of pounds at a warehouse in Dumfirmland.
0: Boxes full of electrical items such as drills, shavers, headphones, even smart TVs. The list goes on.
2: The stock had been left unsold, and Amazon reckoned it was cheaper to destroy it than to store it or to return it.
0: And that calls into question the company's environmental and ethical practices.
2: Here in Ireland, we get most of our Amazon products from warehouses in the UK, just like the one in Scotland. But a few months ago, we found out that mostly because of Brexit, Amazon is planning to open one of its warehouses, our fulfillment centres as it calls them, in this country too. The centre will create hundreds of jobs and deliver lower prices and shorter delivery times for Irish customers who have turned to Amazon in their droves for socially distanced shopping.
0: What we saw in a way was a lot of people who used to feel some compunction, some guilt about doing the, the full Amazon thing, the, the, the one-click thing, suddenly felt like they had the permission and the approval of the authorities to go that route. It wasn't just that you could shop Amazon without guilt. You could now do so with with a sense of virtue.
2: Not everyone thinks the benefits of Amazon coming to town outweigh the downsides. Alec McGillis is an American journalist and author who's written a book about fulfillment centers and how they have warped traditional retail and traditional labor in the United States. So a lot more people started using Amazon in the past year. Could you paint a picture for us of Amazon's scale? just how big is Amazon today?
0: It's so enormous and it's gotten so much bigger this past year. I mean, it really is kind of almost hard to grasp just how much it's grown. In the US, it already had more than well over 100 fulfillment centers around the country. But this past year, it grew by 50% more, 50% more warehouse space in a single year. They had to hire 400,000 more warehouse workers just in the US to handle the surge in sales. It's now the second biggest Private sector employer after Walmart, sales went up about 45 percent uh, year over year. The company's stock almost doubled. Jeff Bezos's wealth grew by 58 billion dollars just in a year. It was already such an incredibly dominant company, more than 40 percent of all e-commerce sales uh, controlled by this single company. And now, with with that e-commerce sector expanding vastly the company is just really kind of off the charts, the kind of growth that we're looking at. Almost unprecedented, you could say, for a large American company to grow that much in in just one year. And you mentioned fulfillment centers.
2: Now, the company has yet to confirm its plans, but reliable sources say it's going to open a fulfillment center in the Republic of Ireland soon. What exactly is a fulfillment center?
0: A fulfillment center is their word for these giant warehouses where our orders are fulfilled. Welcome to an Amazon Robotics
2: Sortable Fulfillment Center, where robots work alongside our amazing employees.
0: Let's go inside. When we we make that one-click, our one-click order, the order will go through to the warehouse. You have a couple thousand people working at the warehouses where just uh, tens of thousands of items are sitting there. (laughs) So many items, everything in the world, everything we want in the world, just waiting for us to, to, to select them. Amazon's forecasting engine is used for over 400 million products daily. You have all these conveyor belts just zooming around. And robots, there's lots of robots in the warehouses now. Robots zoom around with tall stacks of shelves and bring a stack of shelves to a picker who's waiting to select the item, the desired item, from a shelf on the stack of shelves.
2: Our employees are the heart and soul of our operation. Some are military veterans.
0: And then they put the item in a yellow plastic crate, a tote, as they call them, and it goes zooming off down the conveyor belt and someone else packs it and then it goes zooming off another belt and makes its way to the truck to be brought to you.
2: We hope you enjoyed our virtual tour.
0: What's it actually like to work there? It's incredibly difficult. It's a very difficult job, which is which is why the turnover in these jobs is just about 100% over the course of a year. Most a lot of these warehouses just completely turn over in, in the span of just a single year the most important thing about to know about the work is that you're under incredible constant demand incredible constant pressure to pick up your pace, there, you're being constantly tracked for just how many items you're picking from the robot, how many items you're packing, how many items you're, how many pallets you're driving in from the trucks um, when they bring the the goods in, how many items you're stacking into the shelves. You're constantly being tracked. You're going to have a supervisor coming over to talk to you if you're falling behind at all. You might get fired if the if the algorithm, the the sort of automated tracking system, uh, notices that you're falling behind too often. The work is incredibly rudimentary. The works become almost more robotic as they brought more robots into the warehouses. It's in a sense, if you're, you're almost working at the behest of the robots. If you're a picker who's taking items from the robots' shelves, you really have to kind of keep up with the robots as they're, as they keep bringing things to you. It's very isolating also. The work is, you, you really are, have almost no interactions with anyone else. The, in a sense, we've replaced the job of a retail salesperson, a sales clerk in a, in a department store, other retail store with this new kind of work, which is both more physically taxing and more isolating than the job of a, of a traditional retail salesperson. In, in a way, this new work really resembles factory work more, assembly line work, except it's not paid as well as factory work. And it's also not as, as meaningful because you're not actually making something. You're just packing things that were made halfway around the world.
2: So, it can feel for people working in the fulfillment centers that they're actually working for the robots.
0: Well, that's just it. It's actually in, in the warehouses, the work really has become um, more robotic as as the robots have been have been brought in. In a sense, the one thing the one thing that has spared the humans that are left in the warehouses from being replaced by the robots is that is that we can still grab things. They have trouble teaching the robots to grab things of different shapes and sizes um, from the shelves. And so you're still there as a human for your basic ability to to grab.
2: The company has taken on 400,000 more people in the last year alone. Normally that would be a good news story, a large
0: company setting up warehouses and creating massive amounts of employment. Well, the first important thing to keep in mind when we talk about all these, quote, new jobs is that they're not being created in a vacuum. There's a context to to that, which is the utter wipeout of of jobs in brick-and-mortar retail. The job of the retail salesperson has been the most, um, the hardest hit of any in the the country in recent years, way more even than the newspaper reporter or the coal miner. The retail salesperson has just been crushed. And, And so, that's what it's replacing. And then in, in the you know broader scheme of things, it's, it is replacing also all these manufacturing jobs that have also been lost in recent decades. So this has become, in a sense, this warehouse job has become the new mass employment option for people without a college degree, without specialized training. If you used to go work at the shopping mall or were down at the steel mill, if you just needed a job, now you go to the warehouse, you go to Amazon. So the work is both more physically taxing and isolating than the job of the retail salesperson, and it's also less well paid and less purposeful and and likely more isolated than the work of the of the factory workers. So even even today, even after all the decline in in manufacturing jobs in the U.S., a manufacturing uh assembly line worker still makes on average about thirty bucks an hour. And and Amazon starts you at, at only half that. I tell the story of this sort of transformation of work in this really remarkable place called Sparrows Point outside Baltimore, which has gone from being home to the largest steel mill in the entire world in the late 1950s to now on the very same piece of land, very same peninsula, it's now home to a large logistics business park with two large Amazon warehouses. And so in the exact same place where a man spent 30 years making $35 an hour making steel, that very same man that I spoke to and featured in the book is now you know making 13 14 bucks an hour um driving a forklift of goods coming in from china um for amazon and 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 it's just that that transformation of the one kind of job much more meaningful much better paid dangerous yes but but also a job that he was really proud of now becomes the job of being in the one of these warehouses and in this particular gentleman barely lasted three years in the warehouse because he just found it so depressing
2: but of course, what Amazon will say in response to that is that they pay substantially more than the minimum wage in the places they
0: operate. Well, sure, but it all depends on what you compare it to. It's yeah, it's more than more than the minimum wage. It's more than a job at flipping burgers at McDonald's, but it's but it's less than many of the retail jobs it's replaced. You know, a a woman who fifty five year old woman who spent years working at the jewelry counter and department store was probably making more than that by the time she lost her job. It's less than. Many other warehouse jobs, actually, many other warehouse jobs, non-Amazon warehouses actually pay more than $15 an hour. And it's also much less than the sort of manufacturing work that it that is, has come to resemble in its assembly line kind of nature. And it's certainly much less than what's happening at the top of the company While well, as it's going through this boom, as as its CEO is making $58 billion more in, in personal wealth over the course of a single year. The company did add a couple dollars um, in a bump, sort of a pandemic um, uh, hazard pay kind of bump early in the pandemic at up to $17 an hour. And then they took that away just two months later.
2: And we've seen a trend. Over the last 20 years, Walmart opened giant superstores outside of towns across America. They just hoovered up all the money that was once spent locally. Main streets started dying. Is this the second wave, the wave that will completely crush traditional retail in the United States?
0: That's a very good way of thinking about it. That that you already had just this terrible devastation of, of sort of Main Street, downtown America by the Walmart behemoth on the other town, and now you have Amazon coming in with a second blow. There's some important differences though. The Amazon effect is more more broad, more general, in the sense that it is universal in its in its dominance and its appeal, where whereas the Walmart effect happened only in the places where Walmart actually was. There were a lot of parts of the country that it did not penetrate as much, a lot of big cities where it had not made so many inroads. Those even those those urban downtowns now are, are really being hit very hard by by Amazon. Then on top of that, it, there are two other key differences. One is that Walmart um, Pays many more taxes than Amazon, uh, not through any great virtue, but simply because of the nature of its of its business. It's made it much harder for it to avoid paying federal in- income taxes than than Amazon. Amazon managed just a couple of years ago on huge profits, billions in profits, not to pay a single dollar in federal income taxes, whereas Walmart paid tens of billions. Um, but then the other key key difference is what my book is really kind of at core about, which is the regional disparities that have been created through the rise of the tech giants. And Walmart devastated all these small cities and towns, but it did not at the same time do what Amazon has helped do, which is to create this this set of winner-take-all cities where so much of our of our wealth um, and commerce and business activity have kind of been sucked into these cities, mostly on the coasts like Seattle where you have all the sort of high paying headquarters jobs in a company like Amazon are all there. So all this money, this retail money gets kind of like just drawn and hoovered into these winner-take-all cities that have become incredibly expensive and unaffordable. Walmart, on the other hand, was more, it devastated the small towns, but it did not then create this sort of inequality at the high end. It made the, the Walton family very wealthy, Walton shareholders very wealthy, but there wasn't that same kind of headquarter city kind of dystopian wealth being created at the the top end
2: coming up why Irish retailers fear Amazon
1: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: For Irish retailers, things have changed fast in the last few decades. First with a shift from town centres to shopping centres, and then with the move to online sales. A lot of Irish retailers already use Amazon as a platform to sell their own goods, with Amazon taking a cut from each sale. One such retailer is Kenny's Bookshop in Galway, which is
3: run by Tomás Kenny. Amazon initially was just absolutely wonderful for us. And I mean, everyone gives out about Amazon, myself included. And, you know, it's important to remember when we opened up our account with them initially, it gave us access to a marketplace that we as a bookshop in Galway hadn't a hope of of getting, you know, ourselves. People in California who'd never heard of us were buying books off us, you know, and, and, and far further afield.
2: But even though you've sold a lot of books on Amazon, you've decided to wean your business off the site to stop using the service. Why did you decide that?
3: They became very difficult to do business with. They are very difficult to do business with. We sold and an a lot of books with them. We're not the biggest, but we're not the smallest account they've had. I've never spoken to a human who had any control over our account. And any time we had issues it didn't matter, you know, they, they're, they're, it's a robot you're talking to, you know, and if the answer doesn't match what they want, you just don't get it.
2: Can you give us an example of the kind of bad experience you're talking about?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, very, very simply, we sold several hundred books, which we sent to several hundred individuals, but there was one person who'd actually bought them all on off us on Amazon, and he um, he alleged none of them arrived, even though they had Amazon sided with him and they refunded all 400 or 500 orders, whatever it was, for several tens of thousands of dollars. And uh, yeah, when we complained to Amazon and we showed them proof that we had delivered the, the books, they cancelled our account overnight. They
2: closed your account?
3: They cancelled our account overnight because we uh, had contacted the customers directly which was a breach of our terms and conditions. They cancelled our amazon.com account. We still had other Amazon accounts live. But yeah, that was the that was it in a nutshell. And that's just one of a number of kind of, I suppose, similar experiences we've had over the years. We had no control whatsoever over that business. You know, everything was in in Amazon's hands and quite frequently they would just pull the rug like they did there under our feet. And you'd go go home on a Thursday thinking everything was OK. And you'd come in on a Friday and all of a sudden the company was in trouble because of something they'd done overnight. So we decided as big a part of our business as they were and as important as they were, it wasn't sustainable in the long term because we couldn't trust them. And because, like I say, I would nobody to talk to. So ultimately, we just made the decision to start weaning ourselves off them. And we've been doing that slowly over the past three years.
2: I know you've been hesitant to speak out against Amazon
3: before now. Why is that? People are scared of them, to be honest. You know, they wield such enormous power in the industry. They're the most important customer for all of the book publishers. So, you know, they kind of almost have to go to their, you know, sing to their tune. We sell on them. So they're one of the most important people for our business. We were basically scared, I suppose, just nervous about what might happen to us because they've, they're clearly so ruthless uh, in terms of their policies and the way they, they deal with. And, and, and you keep hearing these stories about, you know, businesses that they have driven out of business through various different kind of uh, methods. So I suppose, yeah, we were just nervous Um and like I said, we, you know, we were in t- we were very reliant on them at one point uh, for our turnover. And I mean, I, I would never say that they're all bad or anything like that. Like the, we really did; they they provided us with an awful lot, and we are very grateful to them for that. But ultimately, like what they were doing, I mean, in this instance, it just wasn't fair. And not only was it not fair, but it it cost us just such a huge amount of money that we, to be frank, didn't have to lose.
2: There's all this talk now of Amazon opening a fulfilment centre in Ireland. What do you think the impact of that might be?
3: I think it'd be really bad. Uh, One of the most interesting things of of the last um, 12, 15 months with, with COVID has been because of people leaving Dublin, leaving Galway, leaving Cork to live at home or rent houses in the country while they're working from home, they've been going into their local bookshops their local coffee shops their local what well, you know and and rural ireland has had you know not enough but somewhat of a shot in the arm um that it hasn't had in a long long time and you know i mean that's what it will kill it it will it, i mean it will hurt us absolutely uh, you know we we have a bookshop here it would hurt our bookshop it would hurt us online i suspect as well but i think mostly it would hurt the high street um up and down mainly rural ireland you know they'll come in. They'll employ people. You know there'll be benefits to it, but ultimately it will uh, all the money will leave the country. They won't. They won't be helping. You know, and and they'll they'll be hindering the rural Ireland. I think substantially. I'd be very very worried to be honest if they came in.
2: Alec McGillis, your book is about the impact of Amazon and their fulfillment centres on America, which is a vast country. Ireland is a small market. What impact do you think the fulfilment centre could have on this country and on the retail landscape here?
0: If this one centre leads to several more, which very well could because they, they tend to just grow very fast once they've arrived somewhere, it could have a huge effect. I mean, You're going to see much faster delivery times than, you've, than you have until now, which makes them a more appealing option for many Irish consumers, which in turn could rapidly lead to you a know, major impact on local business. You could just very short order of time, start to see effects like the ones I describe in America in fulfillment. It sounds
2: like an impossible challenge for Irish shops. What can they do to fight back against a company like Amazon? I mean, they can't compete on price. They can't compete on convenience. What can they do?
0: As far as what can be done or how businesses can fight back, yes, there are a couple of different levels of resistance. One is what's about to happen now in Washington, which is a really big debate about antitrust and monopoly in America. And there's a big push underway to try to, to rein in the giants, both the Amazon and and Facebook and Google and some of the others. And so that's why that fight matters so much, because that's the that's the biggest kind of structural way for us to take this on. Businesses themselves are some it's interesting, some of them now are finding a way to, to fight back more than Half the sales now on Amazon's website in the U.S. are third party sales, businesses that are selling through the website um, because they feel like they have to be there. That's where all the shoppers are and they give up a massive cut of their sales to Amazon. But there's now another option that has arisen, you know, this company called Shopify. It's a Canadian company that has basically made it possible, helped companies small businesses sell directly e-commerce sales directly on their own websites. Um, There's no Shopify.com. It's a, you sell through your own, you know, Joe's candles and Shopify is, you know, making it easier for businesses to do that. So they've become an interesting rival for Amazon. But then I think the third thing that businesses can do is still, I believe, appeal to the consumer. And I do believe that, you know, for all this talk of the structural forces and all that changes in, in technology and, that that we as a consumer do still have agency and we do still have a choice and and m- much will depend on how much we're willing to kind of move out of this full one-click mentality that we adopted this past year and somehow return to to our to the physical options around us in our own communities
2: isn't there a dissonance here i mean we feel uncomfortable when you describe the working conditions in amazon's warehouses we might not like how amazon does business but we still want our stuff fast we want it at one click and we want it cheap. So, are we complicit in making the working conditions of Amazon staff worse because we want things cheaper and faster?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this—the the one goal of the book is to really show you what lies behind your your one-click, convenient one-click order. And and yes, the it's our demand to get things so quickly that makes the work in the warehouses all the more uh, high-pressure and demanding. And deeply unpleasant so that so that a lot of people barely stay at the job more than a few months. I mean, it's our wish to have the things come so fast, to have our desires fulfilled so quickly that ratchets up the necessary pace um, and, and pressures inside those warehouses and in, in, inside the trucks as the drivers are rushing to bring us our things. And I'm not exactly sure what we would miss if we didn't have it. I can certainly see that that for someone living out, you know, in, in some out in seclusion, or someone um, who's homebound for some reason, wh- why an Amazon would be very, very useful. Um, but I think for the great mass of us, I'm not so entirely sure what the great social good that it has brought us.
2: Where do we go next? How big can Amazon get?
0: They can get so much bigger. There's so much commerce that's that. Um, that still is remains largely physical and that they can still that that they can still seek to to shift online and to dominate and then and that's not to mention all the other realms of the economy that they're that they've come uh, you know moving into from the cloud uh, where they're hugely profitable and dominant to, to healthcare, to, um, you know, gosh, maybe, maybe even education. I mean, there's just there's really no, Jeff Bezos' whole theory is that, that you, you need to always be growing and growing fast, that, that if you're not growing fast, that you're at, at risk of stasis and collapse. And so they are not going to stop growing ever more dominant unless we, you know, the society does something to, 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 to slow them down. Thanks for talking to us today.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B and B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers